another podcast episode this week. We're going to be talking about life history trade-offs. And this time, I'm going to be the one who's interviewed. <laughs> and you can hear Sue laughing already. <laughs> and I am very excited to be interviewing <laughs> Mike. <laughs> that does actually sound like legit excitement. I'll be honest there. It was. It was. <laughs> uh, we can't take anything too seriously. But obviously, no. we have to take life history seriously. We do need to take life history seriously. Absolutely. I'm very glad you brought it up. <laughs> So why do we need to know about life history and life history trade-offs? Well, fair enough. So life history trade-offs is the idea of that organisms have this kind of bundle of energy and they need to use that energy in a specific way to reproduce in the best way that they can. And of course, there's different ways to do that. And there's not necessarily a best kind of way. And, and maybe the best kind of way depends on the environment that the organism is kind of in. Okay. Mm. There's not a best kind of way. So how does that explain the cockroaches in my house that I get every now and then? <laughs> you, I don't know how messy you are. It's at your house. So I can't tell you that answer. But apparently we also need to spray pretty badly as well. We're due, we're due for one of those. And so, yeah, there isn't a, a, a best way. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of, I guess, in some way not true either. Because obviously there is an ev there's, evolution has selected a way for a different species um, and that's, that way has been kind of decided on, selected on over evolutionary time because of the ecological environment that organism in and the selective pressures that that organism kind of encounters. Right. So if we compare our cockroaches then yes. to something like um, another example, like us. Humans, I know. <laughs> like humans. Very similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, maybe equally as messy. Yes, probably. Very. I think cockroaches are probably cleaner. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, and I think that gets to a fundamental point. And we, if we look at humans, we live a really long time. Mm -hmm. We reproduce a few times through our lifespan, and we invest a lot of energy in our individual offspring that we produce. And that's one life history strategy. And a lot of animals have those his life history strategies as well. But another common life history strategy is that of the cockroach, where you don't live for a very long time and you use your energy to create a lot of eggs that, and you spend a little bit of energy for each egg. Okay. So I think we can kind of all understand what that means in a general yeah. sense if we use those extremes. But why do we actually want to study life history and life history trade-offs? What's the trade-off aspect of that then? So when we're talking about life history trade-offs, we usually think about them on, on a bigger scale, on a scale of a species. Okay. And they're kind of interesting to study because we can try and understand what these selective pressures, how they have shaped how those organisms kind of reproduce. And, you know, if we take a look at, you know, producing a lot of offspring or a few offspring, like cockroaches and humans, um, then those are two, like you mentioned, really broad, different strategies. One of them is called K-selected strategy, and that's what humans do, and that's what elephants do, or bears do, or a lot of mammals, a um, lot of birds as well, and lizards. And the opposite would be the R strategies, which are what cockroaches do, which are what a lot of small organisms and invertebrates do. With these R-selected strategies, they're producing a lot of really small offspring. They're relatively cheap 
to produce. Mm -hmm. But you live in an environment where things are kind of unstable. You don't know how things are going to be. There are a lot of predators around. So it's best for you to invest in a lot of offspring mm -hmm. and spend very little on each in hopes that one or two of them may survive. Okay, no, that, that, that makes sense, I think. So uh, do we ever see gradients of that? So do we ever see a case where something that might be considered as a yeah. K strategy yes. goes yeah, to yeah. an R strategy or the other way around? So would, a, right. would you ever see uh, an insect such as a cockroach yep. actually start to invest more energy into their offspring right. and gradually become what we might consider more humanized? Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So not in the sense of an individual. Okay. So remember, when, when, so that's, that's a great question because it really reminds me to say life history strategies are something that are selected at the whole species level. Mm-hmm. But of course, if we look at, you know, the phylogeny of beetles, for example, a lot of them will produce a lot of eggs, only a few of them survive. But then if we go into, say, specific examples of certain beetles, mm -hmm. there are species where males and females will mate, will work together to produce one offspring. All right. You cool. know, um, so that is it does happen and, and are they in environments then where you would consider that there's less predation or that's more stable environment that they're in right so that I, it, it is definitely something in the environment that's shifting that so there are some beetles that have like i mentioned created that or taken that k strategy route and they're uh, carrion beetles and what they do is they find a dead animal Mm -hmm. And they or dig carrion, a just carrion, just yeah. the example of the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. Uh, they dig a hole and then they kind of bury this and they get into the mammals and they kind of, or the, the animal or piece of carrion, and they kind of just tend it and lay a single or maybe two eggs in that. And then they will care for the larvae as they're growing up mm -hmm. and really make sure that that kind of little habitat is good for them. And now when we can, we can take a look at that situation and say, well, why would they work so hard and only create one or two larvae and really invest a lot of energy into, into caring for them? And part of that is probably because it's so hard to find any carrion in the forest because mm -hmm. it's eaten up by different things. So when you do, you want to work really hard to make sure you have those few offspring that you have survive because you never know that, you know, that opportunity to get more carrion or, or more reproductive opportunities are really hard to come by. Right. And when those reproductive opportunities are really hard to come by, that's when you want to invest more into single offspring. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if this has actually been covered in some of the other lectures yeah, that I it. haven't recorded yet. Yes. <laughs> listened to yet. Sorry. Yes. Um, but so you talk about selection being at the species level. Yes. Versus the individual level. That's right. Could you just sort of maybe... Uh, clarify that a little bit more. What's, yeah. what's the difference between that? What's yeah, and I'll put example? it in the context of, of this, yeah. which I think will work really nicely. So if we think about, um, there's going to be variation in how many offspring that individuals produce mm -hmm. and how much energy they invest in those offspring. And let's say it'll go down to one individual and invest a lot of energy to, let's say, 200 individuals. Mm -hmm. That's unlikely, of course, that that will exist all at one time frame. But for this kind of example, we'll just yep. go that way. Um, and now we can look at that environment. And the environment's going to create these selective pressures. There's going to be predators around. Mm -hmm. There's going to be maybe a limitation in food, uh, limitation being able to find mates, mm -hmm. uh, or competition between individuals of the same species. 
And so individuals will have to do all these kinds of things. And let's say it's a really highly predatory environment. So there's a lot of predators and there's a lot of chances for you to die. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy for you to die. So now we can imagine all these individuals have produced different numbers of offspring. Right. And if there's a lot of predators around, that means your chances of dying are really high. Yeah. So if you produce one or two offspring, well, there's a pretty high chance that they'll actually end up dying. Well, some of those individuals that are producing 100 offspring, well, maybe 2% of those will survive. Okay. And now we can think about who gets that chance to, whose offspring will end up reproducing at that stage, right? Will it be the individual who got all of their offspring eaten? Well, their genes are removed from the population. Yeah. So that strategy is kind of removed as well. And, but those individuals who produced a lot of offspring and invested very little energy, well, they had some offspring mm -hmm. survive. And then those offspring will have that same kind of- Those traits. Exactly, yeah. and that reproductive pattern, and that'll continue to be selected upon. Are there examples where we actually have an idea of what those specific genetic traits might be linked to? So those phenotypic mm. traits you just mentioned, I'm going yeah. to call them phenotypic. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Of traits of like um, low number of producing yep. a low brood number. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The high brood number. Yep. Stop, stop, brood stock. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> um, if that's in any way linked to genetic markers that you can right. characterize, that you can actually see that evolution process occurring. Right. Or is, I mean, that's obviously a big ticket question, yeah. but I don't know if there's any examples where that's been attempted, tried, or are they just so multiple in numbers, the genes, genes that would be involved in those processes that... You know, I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't know if anyone's actually looked at something like that, but it, you could look at that at a phylogenetic level. Yeah. Let's say if we, you know, go back to those beetles again, we took a phylogeny of a really wide range of beetles mm -hmm. uh, to the genus level, for example, and we could, we'd mark down, let's say, how many offspring they produce, mm -hmm. what type of environments that they live in, as many traits as we could, both of the environment and of the species. And then we actually could look at some, you know, genetic markers and yeah. say, um, how about this, these groups of species right here, this genus, for example, they produce a lot of offspring. Let's see what's associated with that. Oh, this genus down here, they produce very few offspring. Let's see what genes may be associated with that. Right. And we can see the expression levels and then compare that and see if there's anything associated with it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure if anyone's done anything like that. No, but it would be kind of interesting cool. to explore, yeah. Because another thing going on from that I'm yeah. thinking of is, say you, the environmental change, yes. environment changes. So yeah. you know, that's obviously a big thing we're interested in as ecologists. And, Absolutely. Um, and currently in our climate of, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. environmental change. But say you are, uh, back to the cockroach, so you're yeah. a cockroach and you have other predators, whatever that might be. It could yep. be me and my fly spray. Yes. <laughs> um, but whatever it is, uh, say those predators are removed. Yes. Right. So right. now you have a situation where you are an R strategist, investing little but producing a lot, but your predator right. has been removed. And would then you see a situation where the tables might change and then that individual, which might have a slight mm. variation in its brood size and how much it energy it puts into can now put energy into surviving itself more or taking yeah. care of those few or finding you know what they would take care of protecting the habitat sure. a bit more um absolutely are there cases examples like that or am i just now starting to talk more about other types of no i think uh, theoretically doesn't you're nailing it you know and and that that could be 
something that could happen, right? And that's probably why we see so much variation, mm. you know, changes in predation levels and things like that, which would allow individuals to invest their energy into different things. Um, I think that's probably exactly what explains mm. a lot of the variation that we see. So to give you a specific example, I can't think of anything, but I, things like food availability, um, the intensity of predation, yep. your availability of mates and how easy it is to find them. I think all those things are playing a role, are playing a role right. in shaping the strategies that these, these species kind of demonstrate. Right, right. Yeah. So predation is just one of those yeah. items that could be... Yeah, making Absolutely. those changes. Yeah, but a, pro a very important one. Yeah, yeah. but I, I will, I will bring up because you keep coming back to this because I think yeah. you, I can see your interest in trying to understand what individuals are doing and why they may be changing their behavior. And now there is individual level variation. Like, mm -hmm. even though a species, for example, may produce around 50 eggs, there's going to be variation. It could be between 50 and 80. Mm -hmm. And some individuals may produce more, some individuals may produce less, and that may vary depending on how many uh, predators are around or how much energy they have yeah. and things like that. And we see that in birds as well. You know, the optimal brood size is four for right. a lot of species of birds, but sometimes in a really bumper season when there's a lot of insects or food around, they may produce five. Okay. Um, and, you know, they'll be really lucky. Sometimes it's really bad, they'll, they'll produce three. So there are some individual level fluctuations where individuals will change how they invest their patterns. And that's called developmental plasticity. Okay. Where individuals are changing things at their individual level yep. for themselves. Yep. And that could also be selected on. And that could lead to bigger changes in R and K selected kind of strategies eventually over time. Yeah. And, and how does this link then back to speciation? Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah, no, there, there, absolutely, there's a link in the sense that, you know, if those select, selective pressures kind of, that have changed, like, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, the, you know, the decrease in predation, if that stays that way mm -hmm. for multiple generations, then you can imagine there's an advantage to certain individuals that have a particular strategy. Yeah. That may be individuals that produce a lot of eggs. Yeah. Because predation is really low, so... A lot of my offspring survive. I don't okay. have to worry about it. And that individual variation will come into play there. Those individuals that lay 100 eggs may have more offspring survive than individuals who lay 50. Mm -hmm. So there may be stronger, stronger selection for putting in less energy into individual eggs and then stronger selection for an R strategy. So, yeah, so cool. that's kind of how those, I hope that kind of makes sense how those two things Do kind of work together. I, I can see that. Um, obviously, it, it's not as black and white as we like to think of it. Exactly. So when we talk about things like K strategists and R strategists and mm -hmm. life history trade-offs, it seems so um, yeah, boxed and black and white. Absolutely. But obviously, there's a lot of factors that are there is. playing a role here. And right. a lot of things we still don't know, like Absolutely. the genetic background of these things. Absolutely. What causes certain decisions to yeah. be made and how the environment impacts that. Absolutely. And, th and that's what I think... Getting back to your first question, why it's so interesting to yeah. study this, that's why. Because there is a lot of variation, and that variation can occur for a lot of different reasons, which may be internal and genetic mm -hmm. and selected for in a long-term kind of way. It may be external and, you know, very responsive, uh, pred predators, food availability, and all those kinds of things. And all that ecology um, of the organisms can kind of interact and affect the evolution of those species, and that's why. Ecology and evolution are so important to kind of consider together. Cool. Yeah. Um...
Okay, so we, we talked, so you focused a lot on the Beatles and examples of them as our strategists, yep. and, but there were exceptions, like yeah, the absolutely. carrion beetle, where it just produces uh, a single offspring or yep. few offspring, yep. and heads towards the case strategist. Are there examples of, say, mammals right. that are moving more towards the other direction? So um, we think of mammals themselves as, as case strategists, right? right? Are there any that are moving towards the R strategy approach? What do we call that? Yeah, not that I know of. Mm -hmm. And it's often because it's so expensive to produce a mammal. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if we think about invertebrates, you know, they invest a lot of energy or a little bit of energy. They create an egg, you know, something pops out of the egg or a larva or whatever it is. It feeds on stuff and it, and it grows and mm -hmm. survives. But mammals, they have so many complex pieces in them, uh, brains and lungs and livers and all these organs and everything. Those are really expensive to make. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's often you just invest in a, in a few of them okay, um, because they're so expensive. But, but that being kind of said, and that's the same thing for birds and lizards and, and, and things like that as well. You know, you have your extreme, I guess, with turtles, you, they lay a bunch of eggs because mm -hmm. of the low survival rate. But even then, they're nothing close to what a lot of invertebrates too. But there's something kind of interesting going on in mammals as well because they vary their life history strategies too. And often there are mammals like us yeah. or elephants or bears, like I mentioned, you produce one or two offspring a year um, or within your lifetime for humans and you just care for them and help them grow and so on. There are some but, you know, like bears or uh, many mammals, they can produce one offspring each year. Okay. And that's called idioparity. Idioparity. Yes. So the idea that you are reproducing multiple times throughout your lifespan. Okay. And producing offspring. But there are some interesting things in, going on in mammals as well where they're semiparous. Semiparous. That's right. Okay. Where they reproduce once and die. Oh, that's a bit sad. Yeah, I know it is, isn't it? <laughs> so it's all this energy, a massive amount of energy is being dumped into reproducing once and then you are gone. So you don't take care of your offspring either? No. Oh. Not really. No, you what, kind of... What example? Do you have examples of those? There is a, a neat example with this, uh, a genus called Antichinus. And there's kind of these little rats where males put all the, invest all their energy into mating that one time and after they mate that one time, they're just die it's that energetically costly and okay. then females are left alone to kind of rear the offspring and um, obviously quite happily so yes clearly <laughs> obviously okay and, yeah so so there is that that where in mammals where that does happen it's and, rare and they have one offspring uh, they have yeah one or okay. two yeah they won't have many okay um but all these little males just invest everything in there how, how did that species survive yeah good question i know isn't it you'd think that uh, these males are essentially killing themselves through sex. Yeah. They invest all that energy in there. Obviously, that, that's, they're an exception, right? You said there's like a few species of those. There's not, it's not like something that's diversified as a life history strategy. So it's, it's not super common. Um, you know, salmon, okay. you know, spawning upstream. Yeah. They have that one reproductive opportunity. You know, they take a long time to mature. They mature, they swim upstream, they turn pink. And they invest everything into that in one both males and females. And they're laying tons of eggs. Mm. So this is the opposite of Antichinus, 
mm. where they're an R strategist. Yeah. And they produce lots and lots of eggs, but only a single reproductive opportunity as well. Right, right. So it does happen. So again, it, it you have these weird selective pressures that mm. lead to these kinds of kinds of events. And it's interesting to try and understand what kind of events are required for these things to evolve. But it's not, yeah, it's not that common. Yeah. No. And and perhaps also important as we come back to kind of things about environmental change and impacts yep. that we have on the environment, sure. how they're going to have uh, impact on potentially shifting life history strategies or yeah. how they might impact on one species more than the other because Absolutely. of the life history strategy. Yeah. And, and if you think and you re if you really want to conserve an organism, mm. then you really need to understand their life history strategy. And then you need to understand how that that ecological environment is allowing them to survive and reproduce in that way and make sure that all those opportunities are still available, mm. which I can imagine are probably shrinking as we speak for a lot of organisms. Yep, yep, particularly yeah. for the male antichinus. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> those guys don't have much of an opportunity to do much at all. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I think that's actually really fascinating. Um, I... I think I've learned a lot about life history, <laughs> life history trade-offs in yeah, particular. Yeah. Um, and I'm fascinated again by that transition between when something actually shifts them to actually sure. come to speciation. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be continued in that space. So and lots of yeah. lots of things. I think there do. there is a ton of work that's been yeah. in there. And, and you know, I don't know a lot of that literature really, really well either, because it's not um, you know, a super strong field of, of study for myself. But there, it is really interesting. It is really cool. And of course, things can can get even more complicated when we start talking about individuals that clone themselves. Mm, yeah. Right. And there are some invertebrates that do that. And then, of course, we go, we talk about bacteria and things yeah. like that. It's a whole different game. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, they'll have life history strategies of their own as well and how they reproduce and, and when they make clone themselves. Um, if we look at um, what are those little water fleas, Daphnia. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Right. They change yeah. their reproductive strategies based on the amount of predators that are around, amount of food availability. They'll, they can clone themselves mm -hmm. or they can sexually reproduce mm -hmm. and then they'll you know, create different number of eggs depending on how they reproduce. So there's all kinds of really neat, yeah. neat things to explore in that. And again, I guess we just also mentioned we focus mostly on animals in this conversation. Yeah. But plants uh, and I'm thinking of seaweeds, which I work yeah. on a little bit as well. Yeah. They have a lot of different life history strategies. Um, Absolutely. Their life history strategies will be very complex in the fact that you'll have For some sure. of the, um, you'll, you'll have some of the reproductive yep. cases where they are larger than yeah, the actual organism. Itself. Yeah. So um, I think that's actually... That's a really good point. Egg. And I always fall back into animal examples because that's yeah. what I've always worked on. But absolutely, you have so many different strategies in plants as well, right? Yeah. Producing lots of little seeds that are very tiny or fewer bigger seeds. Mm. You know, uh, saving up your energy for one really big reproductive event mm -hmm. um, or, you know, reproducing each year and producing a small number of offspring each year. And of course, you have differences between plants and trees and, yep. and all and you kinds have, like, of things. Uh, what I was saying before is that you have the male and female. Absolutely. That will be yep. different. Um, yeah. And they'll have to somehow come together. Yeah, <laughs> through yeah. their flowers or through whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then it, of course, it gets even more complex with plants. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I think I never worked on plants. They're <laughs> way more complicated to me yeah. than, than animals are. Yeah. Because you can sexually reproduce. You can asexually reproduce. 
but you it depends on what kind of pollen you get mm-hmm. uh, and you can do both at the same time there's so many different ways of reproduction in, in plants and it's so much more complicated yeah or can be more complicated than animals um, and which make which makes it really interesting as well yeah obviously. absolutely yeah. it does make it interesting yeah and uh, yeah we haven't talked about uh, the, the microbes which you know, is an area that I work yeah. mostly in um, yeah and life history i guess i haven't really thought about life history trade-offs so much in that space yeah um eukaryotic microbes yes bacteria and archaea probably less so sure having sure. said that there are bacteria which do have different um i guess stages respond to environments right. where they actually will produce sort of fruiting bodies for example yeah, okay um which will be like a equivalent to a seed dispersal yeah interesting okay um where they have spores that are environmentally resistant and then they'll go off so they choose different different paths i don't know if you would classify that as a life history because there's no sort of reproduction part involved in that no speciation as we were talking about but it's still somehow a trade-off sure their um i guess their their development yeah yeah so um, does that often life happen? stages i don't yeah yeah does, does that often happen at the individual <laughs> level or are diff, do different species do different things yeah so different species will do different slightly different things so, so you have yeah, okay. bacteria for example yeah all right these are things which often get confused in the soil for being fungus or molds but yeah, they're actually okay, bacteria okay. because they form like a fruiting body like a oh, very cool like a fungus yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and they respond to low nutrients by doing that right so right. they actually act in there, you think of individual microbes. They have individual cells, right? Bacterial cells, which we've looked at in the under yeah, the microscope, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and they will actually, um, they when there's plenty of nutrients around, they'll right. sort of swarm together. They'll right. all act like a pack, pack, cool. like a wolf pack type and thing. Kind and they'll of work together. They'll work together. When the nutrients get less, they'll actually then also work together but with a different strategy. Interesting. Where they then form these fruiting bodies, which are really costly, which makes right. me think about this trade-off, right? There we go. Yeah. They're very, very expensive. So a lot of the population dies. Interesting. A bit like the, the anthokinus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Males. So but that, that investment is worth, is worth it. Because they produce the spores, right. which then will go off to the new generation. But it's sort of this cross between... Yep. Yes, it's it's one species, but in the microbial world, they're individual cells. So it'd be like yep. the humans working together, I guess, or the cockroaches working together if they did. But are are they are are these cells clones of one another, or are they? Yeah. Can, okay, so they they there is benefit. To there them is benefit together. to them working together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there'll be different species. The you know, speciation yep. occurs much more rapidly in sure. the microbial world. Yeah, it so because the generation starts yeah. so much faster. Yeah. We should get together and start doing some work on that. There would be some really interesting <laughs> stuff in there. Actually, I don't know yeah. anything about that world, and it sounds you know I bet there's not that much done in in life history stuff in, in yeah things yeah. Like that. yeah. I mean, true, true. It's not in the same terminology, not the same word. Yeah. Not the same and this. And and this is what Will and I talked about ages ago is we have different terminology that often means very similar mm. things and sometimes crossing those different worlds just takes a little bit of time yeah, and figuring yeah. out. But that's but I think you've got some great examples there of how individuals can change their investment, but also species change their investment. Mm. And that's what that's essentially what life history strategies are. This idea that you're change you you're changing how you use the energy that you have and investing that in different ways depending on the selective pressures that you encounter mm. and that's just kind of fun to think about cool yeah yeah it's fun to think about all right all right is that <laughs> yeah
Well, that seems like it's a wrap. I, I think I've, so too. I think that kind of covers everything I wanted to. And yep. so that's perfect. And there's obviously a lot of information out there. Yeah, there is. So this but, kind of stuff interests you, you know, you're welcome to come chat to us. Yeah. Uh, there's some, there's a bunch of folks in, in the school who are doing, you know, questions on life history strategies and individual development of plasticity. Yeah. Russell's doing that. I do that. Shinichi so, and Will do that. So if, if people are looking at uh, where they want to go into this third year, yeah, uh, yeah. are there courses that actually cover a lot more of this in third there year? There is. You can take um, third year evolutionary biology. Okay. Um, and then there's going to be a course with Will on uh, plants mm -hmm. that does a lot of that as well and talks about different life history strategies in plants. And that'll give you a little bit of a better idea. And then, you know, you can just chat to those folks. Yeah. And if you want to do an honors, you can learn a lot more through that way. Cool. Awesome. All right. Excellent. Good chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> okay. As always. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everyone. We'll see you later.